Okay, we're going to have a reading now. That's from Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through to 62. Uh, Brenda's going to come up and read from that. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem, and he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they went to another village. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts his hand to the plough and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Good morning. Well, before I kick off, why don't we uh, just take another moment and commit this time to to the Lord as we unpack His Word, as we think about it, as we weigh it up in our hearts. Let's close our eyes. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You that we can open Your Word and it speaks to us. It speaks to us today. It has challenges. It has difficult questions that we need to wrestle with, but ultimately it reveals to us your son Jesus Christ. And as we look this morning, may it not only reveal him to us, but also stir in us a resolute desire to follow him above everything and anything else in this world. So gracious Father, we pray that you Open our hearts and open our ears to your word this morning. Speak to us, and Lord, may we grow in our love and our desire to follow you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what got you up this morning? What got you out of bed? What gets you up every morning? Uh, Maybe it's the... The knowledge that you're going to have a cup of coffee, and that's the first thing that you're going to do. Maybe it's uh, the end of the day that gets you up. You know that if you get up, then the end of the day is that little bit closer. Or maybe it's the end of a week. Maybe you, you look forward to that. What gets you excited when you're at work to finish work for that day? Is it the idea that you get to go home soon? Is it the comfort of a warm bed or a hearty meal? What is it that motivates you in a day? What is it that makes you think about something else other than work when you're at work? Or what is it that makes you think about something else while you're sitting here this morning? Maybe all of our minds at some point on a Sunday morning just wander off thinking about a good braai. Maybe some of you are celebrating that today. 
Maybe you're going to celebrate Heritage Day and have a nice bright tomorrow. Maybe that's distracting you right now. And maybe me mentioning it has distracted you completely and I've lost you. Let's hope not. But what draws our attention away from what we should be focusing on? Well, hopefully we can wrestle with some of those questions this morning and find some of the answers in God's Word. But to begin, um, as you can see, I've chosen the title, Follow Jesus Resolutely. Hopefully this will be answered as we go. But just to clarify, resolute, to do something resolutely or to be resolute is to, as as I put there, having or showing great determination. I thought it was such a good word. For me, that was the word of the week. Uh, Not even the day, it was the word of the week. It's exciting. It's a nice word. We don't use it often. Let's do something resolutely. You're determined to do it. You're, You're certain that you want to do it. You're set on it. You're motivated. You're driven. And you're going to do it. And some of us do things resolutely very easily for some things. And very unwillingly. We know we should be doing it resolutely, but we don't want to. And as I looked at the word in the, in the Greek, it's a similar kind of word, uh, which just expands it a little bit more, and it's fix firmly, uh, set fast. It's nice words. It's, it's holding tight to something and not letting go, and that's what drives you. That's the thing that motivates you. I know at this point, something that I'm resolute on is finishing my studies. So I need to fix firmly and set fast to that. I want to resolutely finish my studies. And maybe some of you can also think about that word and go, hmm, I see how that applies to me in certain areas. Maybe it's getting to just the end of this year, knowing that you get a holiday. So you're going to work hard, resolutely, till the end of this year. So let's turn to to God's word and see what is happening here. Uh, Luke 9, verse 51, let's read from there down to 55. It says, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And just to pause there, it wasn't just resolutely, it's his face was resolutely set. It was the angle, the direction he was looking to Jerusalem. Uh, Maybe you've got a different translation. You'll see that the word face might actually be there. It's to set your face resolutely on something, to head with all your focus, all your sight is on it. Maybe some of you have done athletics or done some form of a sport. It's useless doing a sport if your face isn't set upon your goal. If it's rugby, your face needs to be set upon the ball and the try line. If it's running a race, you need to be set on the end. Because you're not going to run a race looking behind you the whole time. And here we find Jesus, he is determined, his face is set on Jerusalem. But why? Well, we're told just before, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. This is a swivel point in the story of Jesus. It swivels our attention to the fact that he's not just doing ministry now, but now he is setting out to fulfill what he has come to do. He is setting out to do what he came into this world to do. And he is set resolutely. 
He is so determined to fulfill what he has come to fulfill. Maybe this story got you chuckling the next section. I know I was chuckling when I read it the first time. And he sent messengers on ahead, in verse 52, who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they went to another village. Uh, I thought this was quite amusing. I mean, here's John and James, uh, Peter excluded in this part of the story, but the two of the three that were there with Jesus on the mount when the transfiguration took place. And somehow they've come down, and as the story's progressed, you see their names slipping into the sequence of things. Uh, just before the section, it's John that comes to Jesus and says, There has been this man, there's been this man trying to drive out demons in your name, and we try to stop him. Well, why is John doing this? And just before that, there's this argument amongst the disciples of who is greater. So perhaps there's a little bit of delusions of grandeur happening between James and John. Now they've seen something and they, they're special. They've set apart. Um, but maybe they're just ahead of the game at this point. For us to understand what's happening here, we need to pick up why is this so significant? Why has this village reluctantly decline Jesus from coming in and staying there. Well, if you notice, it's a Samaritan village. It's a Samaritan village. And the Samaritans and the Jews were at loggerheads against one another. You think of the story of the Good Samaritan. It's a wonderful story, but it's a surprising story because you wouldn't expect a Samaritan to do that. Well, in this case, Jesus is wanting to stay in a Samaritan village a Jew heading to Jerusalem, and they won't stand for it. No. Why are we going to support you to do what you, what you believe, in one sense? And so the people are unwelcoming. They don't want him there. No. No, they say. And so John and James think the best option is to, well, let's send fire down. Now, I don't know how they were going to do it, um, because they clearly say when the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down? I thought that was quite funny. But this is significant in the imagery that comes later. And Jesus' response makes sense. He's not simply saying, no, don't do that, because it can't be done. Maybe it can very well. Maybe God can do it right there and then. Boom. But what does that serve? It doesn't serve the purpose of what he has come to do. Jesus has not come in this moment to deal this judgment. But also in this moment, there is something far worse. By Jesus saying, no, don't do that, and rebuking them for thinking that they can do that, he is aware that something far greater, far worse awaits a village like this. So if you'll flip with me to Luke 10, verse 12, or even 11, we can read. It says, verse 11 of, of chapter 10, Even the dust of your town that sticks 
to our feet. We wipe off against you. This is a town that is rejecting, not willing to acknowledge Christ and what he has come to do. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near. There's the warning. But listen to this. I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day for Sodom and for that town. Now, if you know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, that was a town that had fire essentially rain down upon it. And they were wiped out. And here Jesus is stopping his disciples and saying, no, stop that. One, because it's not time to judge them. But two, because the judgment that is going to come to a town like that is far worse than that of Sodom and Gomorrah. That is a frightening image. It's not simply Jesus saying, no, 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 it's okay, don't, that's okay. Don't, don't worry about it. In fact, he is saying it is far worse what is heading their way if this is how they're going to respond to me. Frightening. Well, that's the one part of the story. But maybe it will help us to understand the next part. So let's consider what else Jesus teaches in this passage. So we're going to put that on the, on the side for a moment. And let's consider the next section. Luke 9 verse 57 says, As they were walking along a road, along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their, de their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. So we have these three stories unfolding. These three scenarios, encounters. The first man comes to Jesus saying, I will follow you wherever you go. I always remember being in primary school, I think it was particularly, um, and if I did something that someone else did, the teacher would always respond, if your friend jumped in the fire, would you? And you kind of sit there, hmm, what should I say? Yes. <laughs> but, but it's that kind of thing, where this man saying, I will follow you wherever you go. Well, how far would he be willing to follow Jesus? To what extent would he be willing to follow Jesus if Jesus jumped into a fire, into the fire? Well, in this case, Jesus is not jumping into a fire, but he's going to be crucified. As we see in the previous section, he's now set his face on Jerusalem. This is his direction. He is going to fulfill what he has come to do. And that requires dying on a cross, being rejected, being despised, being rejected from staying in a village, being hated. Would you be willing to follow that? Jesus' response to this man is a genuine one where he says, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. 
If you follow me, what are you expecting? Are you expecting to go home at the end of the day and climb into bed and have a good night's rest? Are you expecting a hearty meal when you, when you get home? <laughs> no. The Son of Man is not here on this earth to have a home for Himself. He is here to save man. We'll unpack a little bit further where Jesus' mind is running with us as we look at the next one. Because to this person, He approaches them and He says, Follow me. And this person comes and says to Jesus, Lord, in a sense I hear this guy saying, Lord, I'll follow you, but um, first let me go and bury my father. And by all means, this is a legitimate request. I mean, there's a duty, there's a responsibility that this man has to his deceased father. But it's Jesus' response that strikes me. Notice what he says. Let the dead bury their own dead. Now, first of all, have you ever seen that happen? I mean, the first time I read this, I thought, this doesn't actually make sense. Let the dead bury their own dead. How is that possible? Well, I think what Jesus is saying is quite a strong rebuke, if anything. Because he is saying, if you go to bury your father who is dead and to reject my invitation to follow me into life, then you are as good as dead. So the dead would then bury the dead. It's a frightening thought. And notice what the next part is. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Why? Because when you realize what you will be doing, you will be proclaiming the kingdom of God, which is life-giving in Christ Jesus. This man will be going out proclaiming the kingdom of God. It will be far greater to do that than to go home and bury his deceased father. And still another said, I will follow you. And I love this one. Because this, this appeals to me. This is my, my nature being exposed here. I will follow you. But first, I've got terms and conditions. Let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Don't we have that kind of attitude? We're willing to do something. By all means, let's do it. Let's go. Let's do what we need to do. Yes. We're excited. We're motivated. We want to do it. But I need to make sure that everything is sorted first before I go. Let, let, let me make sure there's order. Let me make sure everything that I still have control over is taken care of. 62, verse 62, Jesus' response. He says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. If you say yes, and you want to set out and go with it, don't look back. Don't second guess your decision. Don't look back to what you're leaving behind. 
Even more so, as I was thinking and wrestling with this, this image of a plow, I mean, we, we kind of have a different understanding of plows today. You, you climb in a tractor and it pulls this massive thing to plow a whole field in, in an instant. But this is a handheld plow pulled by an ox, some animal, through this field. And in order to do a good job, you, you need to look where you're going. And if you take your eyes for one moment off where you're going, you could so quickly veer off track. And then you've missed the mark. Then your job becomes shoddy. doesn't look good. And another fact is, while you're plowing, what purpose would you have in looking behind you? What's your motive to turn around and look behind you? other than to perhaps recognize the good job you've done? Perhaps to see the work that you've left behind and how good it is or whether it's looking up to scratch? No. Jesus says, when you start plowing, focus on what lies ahead. That's the direction you need to go. Stay on track. Don't worry what's behind you. You keep going. You keep going. You keep going. Now, all of these sound quite strong and harsh things to say. And if you see there in your, in your outline, what I've put there is denying yourself a home or rest, denying yourself responsibilities or duty, denying yourself a family. I first of all, I want you to notice I haven't said deny a home, deny rest or deny responsibilities. It's denying yourself that we need to pick up. And for those of you that were here and remember, Ludwig took us through this in Luke 9, verse 23. It was just a few weeks ago. Where, in fact, Jesus deals with this. He says in 23, Then he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? And this is the flowing out of there. We, I mean, we're still in Luke 9 here and this comes up again. I think Luke is definitely trying to draw our attention to what it means to follow Jesus. There is a requirement, and that requirement of carrying your cross is to deny yourself. Deny what you think you deserve. Deny what you think you need. Deny what you think you want over and above your need and desire for Christ. So let's think about this as a whole. You have this image in the beginning where Jesus is setting his face to Jerusalem. We see the Savior set to fulfill his purpose here and what he has come to do. We see a village that has rejected him and that we in fact know that their outcome is worse than anything that we have ever read or known. And then you have these three people's stories of their opportunity to follow Jesus. 
And in one sense, you have to ask yourself the question, at what cost would we be willing to follow Jesus? At what cost would you follow Jesus if it meant denying yourself a home? If it meant denying yourself a place to rest? Would you deny, would you be willing to follow him if it meant denying yourself those responsibilities that you have to others? If you were needing to follow him in one of these moments, would you be willing to deny yourself your family? Would you be willing to deny yourself? You see, none of these things are outrageous. None of these things that these people are challenged with or want to do is wrong. To have a roof over your head is not wrong. To have a home is not wrong. To bury a loved one is not wrong. And to say goodbye to your family is not wrong. But if you first want to do those things before following Jesus, then that's exposing our heart. And that's what Jesus is getting at. Is if we are wanting to follow him, but first do something else, it is exposing our heart. So, as I've put there, at what cost would you be willing? What cost would we be willing to follow Jesus? What right now in your life would you be willing to give up to follow Jesus? And now let me flip that around. What right now would you struggle with to give up to follow Jesus? Because that's when you start denying yourself is when you let go of those things that you feel you deserve to hold on to. Those little pieces of identity that you've latched to things, to people, to dreams, to hopes. Are you willing to deny those things and follow Jesus? Or are you wanting to cling on to them? So I've put there, are we resolute in following him? Just as Jesus was resolute on heading to Jerusalem where he would die on a cross and where he would be raised again into life, would you be willing to follow him resolutely in the same way? Picking up your cross, denying yourself, dying to yourself, so that you may find life in Christ? Or are we getting in our own way? Are we getting in our own way of following the Savior, Jesus Christ? Are you getting in your own way of following Jesus? And unfortunately, when you think about the outcome, if we are not willing to follow Jesus, if we are not willing to deny ourselves, if we are not willing to put all things aside first and foremost so that we can follow him, then we are no better than the village that has denied him lodging. We're no better than that village in Samaria, uh, the Samaritan village that would not let him stay. And our outcome is far worse than Sodom in the day of judgment. Maybe that sounds heavy, 
But that is the price. And that is the cost if we are not willing to follow Him. So do we see the cost of following Him? And are we willing to pay that cost, denying ourselves? Or do we see the cost if we don't follow Him? Which is what Sodom experienced and much worse. And that's just a frightening image when we start looking at it and wrestling with it. Because at that point, it should disarm us of all our desires and say, you know what, it doesn't matter. I know I should, the guy then should be saying, I know I have a father to bury, or I know that you might not be able to guarantee me a home, or it might even be like the other person who says, you know what, it's okay. It doesn't matter if I don't say goodbye to my family. I will follow you because that's what's most important. Because you can guarantee me life. You can guarantee me hope. You can guarantee my future. But those things can't. To close, I thought this was so fitting. Just because it comes down to a heart thing. And it comes down to what do our hearts truly want and so if we can close by reading just Colossians 3 verse 1 to 4 I was reminded of this again and I thought wow suddenly this means so much more so if you turn to Colossians 3 verse 1 to 4 and hear what it says because it just sums everything up together there everything is there for us and this is, if we follow Jesus, this is what the answer is. This, is. this is the assurance that we have. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. If we choose to follow Him, this is the outcome. And not Luke 10, verse 11 and 12. This is the outcome. Glory in Him. So there should be the, I don't want to leave us frightened, but I want us to weigh up the cost and see the excitement and the reward and the joy that is to follow Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for sometimes the challenge that it is to us, that it leaves us asking the hard questions. What are we following after? What are we pursuing? What gets us up in the morning? Lord, help us to change the way we think about our daily living and say, Lord, today I get up because I am in you. Lord, today I work and I do and I I am who I am in you, not because of what I can do or how good I am. Lord, help us to change the way we see our lives 
not governed by tasks and responsibilities, but by first and foremost a love and a desire to serve you and know you more. And Lord, may we then find our rest in the hope that you will come and raise us in you and that we have life in you, life everlasting in you. Heavenly Father, we we pray that where we struggle with these things, where we fumble around, that we don't get discouraged, but that we realize that we can continually turn back to you. And where we feel that we're not make we're not getting the mark right, where we feel like we are just not there yet. Lord, may we as brothers and sisters encourage one another. May we be reminded that you are a gracious and loving God and you long for us to serve you and you alone. So Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. May it be on our hearts and our minds and may we fix our eyes and our hearts and our minds on you. And we thank you and we praise you and we glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen.